The views and opinions expressed are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any company. Any content provided should be considered their opinion and are not intended to be interpreted as an endorsement. Today's topic is a look into the life of a scientist solving a problem. Welcome to our Solutions for Nano Analysis podcast brought to you by Bruker Nano Analytics. We look forward to bringing you a new podcast regularly. My name is Cody Morton. I'm a marketing communications specialist at Bruker Nano Analytics and an information enthusiast. If you like to learn from specialists in their field and hear what technologies are solving their problems, you will enjoy this podcast. Every session, we will focus on a different problem that our colleagues face in the lab and in the field. Some of the solutions will be a variation of ideas you may have heard before or even worked with. We will bring you these topics in a new and interesting way and introduce you to updated and thought-provoking results. We will talk about how the problem was dealt with in the past and what we're doing to solve the problem now and perhaps even envision future solutions. Join us as we talk solutions with a variety of scientists and technicians in many different industries in the Solutions for Nano Analysis podcast. I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Tina Hill, application scientist with Bruker Nano Analytics. Today, we're talking about the day in the life of a sample. The Bruker Nano Analytics Lab in Madison, Wisconsin, receives samples on a regular basis. Many come from current customers and potential customers that are looking to upgrade or update their lab. Listen as we talk to Tina about the first two questions she asks when approaching a sample. Today, we are looking at samples run on the M4 Tornado, which is a tool of choice for sample characterization using small spot micro X-ray fluorescence. Its measurements give information about composition and element distribution, even from below the surface. The M4 Tornado is optimized for high-speed analysis of points, lines, and 2D area scans, or elemental mapping, of any kind of sample, be it organic, inorganic, or liquid. Tino, Today, let's talk about samples and can you give us a glimpse into site visits and share with us what you do when working with those samples from Bruker Nano Analytics customers. But first, let's figure out who you are. Tina Hill, how long have you been working with Bruker? I have been here just over five years. Awesome. When you were a kid, Were you always interested in science? If so, what kind of science did you like as a young kid? I think I was kind of all over as a kid. I was interested in a lot of different things. And I don't think I really thought I was going to be a scientist in the beginning. There were just so many different things that I thought were interesting. Even when I went to college, I was fairly undecided. So I took a lot of different kinds of classes. But I do remember, I ultimately ended up in geology. I do remember um, wandering around our gravel driveway, picking up rocks and minerals. And I had a little shelf in my closet where I had displayed all of them. So I suppose that's probably a, a good point to go back to and think about ultimately ending up as a geologist. Yeah, I think childhood collections of rocks and minerals kind of points its finger at science pretty early on for sure. So <laughs> maybe I just you, thought they were pretty. Well, 
Certainly. When you went to university, I know that you've had several different hats between university and Bruker. When you went to university, what type of science studies did you have in mind for uh, your future and beyond? I actually originally thought I would be a medical doctor. And I don't know if that was because I was really interested or if it just seemed like the thing my friends were doing. I ended up with a history degree, however, which is quite different. I found at the time the chemistry to be really difficult for me. And I thought, well, if it's going to be this much trouble, why don't I do something else? And ultimately, I went back to school quite a few years later and did another bachelor's. And I did that one in geology, not intending necessarily to go for a PhD, but I found that all of the things that I had struggled with before When I stepped back and tackled them slightly differently, you know, I was a little older, a little wiser, kind of a different way to go about it. It made more sense to me. And geology in particular uses all of the chemistry and physics and math, everything that you could think of. But it seemed like this really concrete Um, application of all of those things that I could literally see rather than just these numbers and solutions. And it made so much more sense to me then. And then did you stay in the university atmosphere? It seems like you did teaching. Did you do teaching while you were working on your PhD or did you do it separate? I did. I was a research assistant for a little while, but also a teaching assistant for quite a while. And I I very much enjoyed teaching, especially when it came to teaching mineralogy, which was my favorite. Um, And I, I ended up teaching at some different institutions after I finished my PhD. Not quite sure where I wanted to end up there either. So I stayed in academia and taught geology classes of various sorts for a while until I decided that I didn't want to be in academia anymore, and I wanted to switch over to industry. So here I am. Excellent. And when you started with Bruker, I know that you're an application scientist. Are you a geological application scientist, or do you branch out to many different industries and studies now that you work with the micro XRF series? That's a good question, because we do have all different kinds of application scientists. I was originally hired because I'm a geologist and that part of industry slash academia was really starting to open up a little bit and they needed someone who knew something about geology to help those customers. Uh, At this point, I actually do just about anything. And with the M4 Tornado Micro XRF, we are... We could have samples from just about any industry you could imagine. And so I have, it's been a a great challenge, fun, interesting, and hard to branch out into all of those different types of industries and, and different samples. When you're working with the samples, do they all kind of have the same approach from geology to forensics to fine art to conservation to 
metals? Does it all take the same approach or does it just depend on the sample? So I think of it like this. The first two questions I will ask you if you are interested in looking at the M4 tornado is, do you want numbers? Do you want to quantify some composition of your sample? Or do you want really nice compositional images? And those two things kind of take you on two different tracks for how you think about what type of sample you have and what you want to get out of it. The M4 Tornado is interesting because uh, many instruments are the types of instruments that you have a very specific type of sample, and that's the type of sample that you do. Uh, Micro XRF, and specifically the M4 Tornado, has such a broad range of applications that it can do, and so many different kinds of data that you can get out of a sample that... Um, really, you have to ask one of those two questions before you can really get into the nitty gritty of that a specific kind of sample. So everybody gets asked those two questions. And then we move down the one of those paths or both sometimes from there. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. So Tina, when you get a sample, are you ever sent a surprise sample you weren't expecting or do people arrange to send samples ahead of time? We get both. Okay. I prefer, I prefer to have a conversation with a potential customer first because there are absolutely samples that we cannot give them the information that they want there is a lot of information that we could give them. It may not be the information that they really want. Maybe it's not suitable, the type of sample. Maybe it just um, isn't possible with the size of the instrument, something like that. So best is if we can have a discussion about what their samples are, what kind of information do they want out of it. But once in a while, something just shows up and it's like a blank slate. Excellent. I imagine that would be tricky to just open a box one day and have a note with the, here's my sample. <laughs> Can you run it? Yeah. The question comes then, are you working on samples that are from current customers or people looking at purchasing an instrument? Most of the time, I am working on people who are looking to purchase. Once in a while, I do a lot of training as well. So once in a while, I will have one of our customers who owns an M4 Tornado send me something so that we can kind of confab about it in a different way than just maybe them sending me data. But most of the time, if you are interested in uh, purchasing this instrument, most people find it really helpful to see data from their own samples. These may be samples that they already know a lot about. And so they want to compare from a level where they already understand it. Sometimes they send samples even they don't know anything about, which can be very challenging. I would imagine that's true. When we 
work with a new customer for a handheld XRF equipment, there are different calibrations that get downloaded. For the M4 Tornado, does that come with the robust calibration or robust software package that people don't have to have loaded or are there different things they can load separately? Not even sure if that's a complete question. That's actually a good question. Um, okay. So we have a lot more freedom working with the M-series instruments in how we quantify things. So it comes loaded with a couple of basic ways to quantify. Um, so the, the way we quantify things in the M4 is a standardless quantification process, which for some samples is excellent and easy and basically push button. For a lot of samples, that's not true. And so we have the freedom to modify that quantification method in a, a lot of different ways to adequately take care of any maybe physics issues that are happening with the X-ray beam and your sample or any other kind of thing that might come up based on um, what that sample is. So we can really dial in. Some people need more than just the standard list quantification. And so we also have a software that uh, allows you to make your own standardized calibrations based on maybe certified standards that you have. And this gives an incredible amount of freedom to the types of samples that we can work on, even some of the ones that may be difficult for the standard list quantification we might be able to make up for that by doing a standardized quantification. Excellent. When our potential customers or when our contacts send in a sample, they probably are hoping to have things turned around in a quick amount of time. What is the fastest you've ever been able to get a sample and run it with some good data for a customer. Not what is the standard, what is like the fastest, Tina didn't have anything to do that day type of scenario. <laughs> I always have something to do. I know. <laughs> um, so I can, if, if pushed and it's the right kind of sample, I could get you some data today. That can't be done with most samples, most of them need a little bit more time, um, but sometimes we can. You know, some the again, there is an incredible variety in how we can analyze things and the type of data that we can get out of it. So some samples really, literally, only need 15 seconds, or 20 seconds, or even 60 seconds to get good data. So if you have that ideal sample, I can get you data right away. When I see it in action the data is really interesting from a non-scientific standpoint. Do you ever have a conversation with a uh, client customer that causes them to say, can you rerun it and give me different data? I didn't even realize that data was available. Or do they usually the know what they want? Oh, okay. Th that happens all the time. And sometimes people know what they want and they're familiar with the process itself. 
sometimes people think they know what they want based on how they have always analyzed them. And that's when we really get into more of a conversation about, yes, I can give you that data, but I can also give you all of this other data. And in fact, it's much easier to do it this way rather than the way that you're used to. It's fast. There's a lot more data than you think. So at really the variety of everything, every aspect of micro XRF analysis is astonishing, really, because there are so many moving parts, so many different kinds of samples, so many different industries, so many ways that we can, let's say, export that data from the software. So it takes a lot of time sometimes to zero in on exactly what those people want. But as I said, sometimes even for complicated samples, we can get them some data quickly. It may not be all the data that they want, but that's the beauty of the M4 tornado. No matter what it is, we can almost always get some kind of data very quickly. That is illuminating even. Mm-hmm. So when I have seen the M4 tornado in action, it doesn't seem like sample prep slows down the process at all. When you're talking to a customer before they send a sample in, do you ask them to do much in the way of sample prep? Or is that kind of the beauty of it? They can throw their sample in a box and put a label on it and get it to you. And then you take it from there. Or are there some samples that do require sample prep? Again, all of the above. (laughs) There are, we can put almost anything into the instrument and get some kind of data out. This comes back to the two main questions that I ask people at the beginning. Do you want numbers or do you want pretty pictures or do you want some combination, you know, of those two things? Because sometimes we literally just put a mug in and we can tell you what is in the paint on that mug within a couple of seconds. We don't need to prepare anything for something like that. If I want extremely publishable data that is precise, quantified numbers, I probably want to spend more time with some sample prep. There are some assumptions that the way we quantify requires us to apply to these samples. And so we can do almost anything, but we have to determine whether that's right for your sample and what you want. Excellent. I know that some of our potential customers have things that are disposable. So would they send you a disposable item and then you actually literally dispose of it after you're done with the sample or do you always return it? Some people have a preference. Some people have very strict rules they have to adhere to for their companies. It could be a top secret project they're working on, in which case no one sees the data but us. And we send those samples back. Um, We sign non-disclosure agreements so nobody talks about it. And we don't accidentally um, put that data out there for everyone to see when we shouldn't. 
those are the type of people who are most likely to want their samples back. Sometimes we get things that aren't precious, maybe something like a plastic bottle. They want to look at the composition of it or the thickness of some layer on it. Often those are things we would end up throwing away unless it's a very special project. I would say 80, 85% of the time I send samples back when I'm finished. I know on rare occasions we have had samples, maybe not specifically for the M4 tornado, but we've had samples come through that are going to go from us to a competitor and you have to prepare data and then prep the box to go on to the next person to show their equipment. Do you find that you're uh, stressed a little bit more about running that data when you know there's the pressure that's being compared, you know, apples to apples to a competitor? Or do you just treat every sample like that? I guess I mostly assume that people who are looking to buy something that costs more than just going to the grocery store, they're going to do their due diligence and they're going to look at our competitors as well. I feel confident that our instrument is a high quality instrument and ultimately the decision that they make will reflect that. Um, But I, I definitely go on the assumption that other people are going to be involved in this in some way that, you know, healthy competition, let's say. Mm -hmm. So most of the time. Um, And it's usually I end up sending the samples back to the customer and they send them on. So we don't even always know who is competing against us. So I tend to try to take the most care with all the samples that I have with that idea in mind that, we are in competition, you know, it is sales. And so um, even though I'm not the salesperson, I'm an integral part of that sample data process for them to know whether their, their sample will benefit from this technique. Mm-hmm. Since you've been with Bruker, through all of the samples that you've dealt with, some with uh, papers and posters and presentations and brochure writing and things, you've dealt with a lot of different samples, not just necessarily a potential customer samples. Have you had any samples that really stick out that you have enjoyed working with especially, or do you always just go back to the geological samples or the fossils? The geologic samples tend to be my favorite for sure, but Uh, One of the things that I love about this position, this application scientist position, is that I get to see what so many different people are working on. And there are so many smart people out there doing so many smart things that I get a little taste of all of that. And so, sure, there are some boring samples, or at least boring by my, you know, definition, but Honestly, for the most part, I find almost all of them interesting. There's always something new and different about some research project that a university is working on or a very well-known company trying to innovate. 
to do something very new and they, they want to use the M4 to help them do that. So I get in on the ground floor of a lot of different crazy sometimes samples. Excellent. When you go, this is a little bit different than the sample question, but when you go on site to help with training or to help maybe uh, troubleshoot or whatever reason you're going on site, usually for the M4 tornado, I think, um, what is it that you hope the people you work with take away from your visit? That has an interesting corollary to this whole sample discussion because frankly, it all boils down to that anyway. I mean, I can help them learn how to press the right buttons. That doesn't take long really, but it's all about the samples. Even once they've purchased the instrument, I'm still asking them those two big questions every time we sit down because it dictates everything. You know, what do you want out of this data? And so we have the same conversations in a lot of ways over and over because it's always a fresh conversation. Now, of course, I see a lot of similarities in samples as I go through my days and weeks. And so I can apply that, that idea to other similar samples when I go to a new customer or someone who's just purchased a new M4. Um, but we have the same conversation about samples and we spend a lot of time talking about what's in them. What do they look like? What are their surfaces? What do they want out of it? And being there with them on site is a really different way to go about that. Just that kind of in-person feeling where you get to hold the sample, you get to see it analyzed. Of course, when they send it to me originally and they're thinking about buying, even though I ask them some of those questions, it's just me sitting in the lab here deciding how I want to analyze it. And so I have a few things that I are my go-tos and, and I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on those. But ultimately, when they do buy and I go to sit down with them and talk about their samples, we can get into so much more detail about what they have and then we can get them so many steps further along the process of analysis for their lab. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time, Tina. When a person has a sample that they need run, what are some steps they can do to get it to you uh, in a knowledgeable way? First, they would probably end up talking to the salesperson and they give them some basics. But we do have a sample submission form that allows us to see a lot more detail, especially if we don't actually end up talking to them and it's one of those surprise samples. They can put a lot of detail down on that sheet and also their contact info. So I can email them or call them and dig into that a little bit more if I need to before I even get the samples. Um, but that sample submission form is really important because it also shows safety um, issues that might be with the sample, if, if there are or are not, you know, if we want to throw it away, if we want to send it back to them. It gives us pretty much everything we need about that sample. 
Excellent. And I had one last thought. Have you ever had a grad student or someone that is just really working on something send you a sample and try to run it through just so they can get some data for a paper they're working on? It seems like that would be really tempting for a student or a research person that's trying to get some data to try to skip the middleman and go right to getting a sample run. Absolutely. I have to be careful not to take on too many projects like that because I find them all interesting. So I pick and choose. There are a lot of people out there who are just interested in something. Um, maybe it's a side project to whatever their PhD is, or I tend to do more of that kind of work for academics. You know, I'm in a lot of ways with a lot less money in academia. And so essentially giving them free data can help them a lot. But I come back to that idea that all of these samples are really interesting. So it can be fun to be in on that project with them, uh, especially if it's geology. <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much, Gina. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you to our speaker today. If you would like more information about today's topic or to submit a topic idea, please email info.bna at bruker.com. You can also check out more information in today's show notes. Also, be sure to find our YouTube channel under Bruker Nano Analytics to find a copy of all our podcasts with related images and find other videos related to Bruker's instruments and presentations. Join us next time as we look at a new solution with more scientists and technicians in all sorts of industries. Thank you.